I hope that you all enjoyed the uh, musical um, theater that I put on this week. Um, I just thought that it was a little... I just thought that it was a little something that I could maybe use to grab your attention. To, to grab you by the, the shirt collar and then practically be like... All right, you little bastard. It's time that you listen, and you listen good. Because now it's time to talk about some deep and heavy topics. <clears throat> so this past week I got my uh, W-2s. That's right. Mocha pays taxes. What ended up happening was, anyway, I got my W-2s, and um, afterwards went over to... Um, you know, it's it's hard to really explain, but somehow my neighbor got them. It, it, this story is very relevant, don't worry. My neighbor ended up getting them and um, giving them to me. And my neighbor is also my cousin. So, <clears throat> and it, you guys would understand if you were in my situation, how disheartening it is to know that my cousin knows that it's it's tax time and I filed, let's say, yesterday or the day before because he's very greedy. He's a very money-hungry, money-centric person. So he looks at me after he hands me my last W-2 uh, paperwork and i seen the smile on his face. He, uh, he tells me, yeah, you're going to get some monies, ain't you? You're going to get some uh, money. And then after that, I was I was starting to get a little bit excited. But then I, I, I looked at his face and he had a smile on his face, too. Keep in mind that this man has no job. And basically his job is um, terrorizing other people. Yeah, you heard me correctly. He sells drugs. He terrorizes people. <clears throat> He suffers no consequences for his actions, by the way. Anything that he does, it's like, hey, you're going to keep this on the down low, right? Or else, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to whoop your ass. You know, that type of Neanderthal fucking attitude. The type of attitude that will get you practically nowhere in life. So, that brings me to my point. Yesterday, or the day before, pretty sure it was the 10th, um, the 10th of February, I did my taxes. And um, I started thinking about, you know, how exactly do I go about using this to my advantage? There's no way that he'll know that I did my taxes. Though There's no way that he'll know where, it, where my taxes are, you know. So, I've got a plan. Mocha has got a plan. And as soon as these dogs stop barking, I'm going to let you all know exactly what it is. I'm going to let everybody know. Because I'll be damned if I'm going to sit at my house and be charged rent. He, he claims that it's... 
he claims that it's, uh, oh, it's, this is lower than the going rate. If you were to go anywhere else, it would be uh, $300. So you better be damn grateful that it's just how much that it is. All right. I guess that's fair. 150 a month. Now I'm working a part-time job. Most of you probably didn't know that. Um, and for that matter, it's not really important. It, what is important though to know is that I've been holding back from you guys because this podcast, as I've stated before, isn't exactly about me. And I'm not here to make it about me. It's about the wrestling content. I'm glad that you all enjoyed the musical theatricals that we just listened to, but I wanted to get your attention. Like I said before, and I hope that I've still got your attention. This is your host talking to you and letting you know that I live in a house that is infested with raccoons, infested with mold. It's got so much mold in it that we had to put a bucket under the uh, holes that the mold has eaten out of the uh, plywood, has eaten out of the um, uh, fiberglass to the house. Also, there's no, you know that little pink stuff that you usually put behind your walls, insulation? Yeah, there's none of that. There's no insulation and there's no heating. Um, you, you see that thing on your wall called a thermostat? I don't have one of those. <clears throat> there's no water, by the way, either. So whenever I have to go make a, make a potty, use the bathroom, and it's not number one, Otherwise, I could just piss on the grass, you know, or piss off my front porch. I can do that. Option number two, whenever option number two arises, usually I got to go somewhere. I don't have a license, so I can't drive there. So I got to walk there. Yeah. So that leads me to my next point. Whenever I do get my taxes, whenever I do get whatever measly amount that the government's willing to pay me for the work that I've done last year and paid into, it's around $637, I'm going to take off and I'm going to leave either via almost said train either via bus, because there is a bus station around here that'll take me to the next city, or for that matter, I don't know how far a Greyhound bus will get me, or I'm going to take off walking. <clears throat> and I'm going to see where the wind takes me. Never really have I been someone to run away from my problems, but there's no talking to this man. He wants, as he said, more money and I'm sorry that I don't have more money and here's the thing he looked at me right and then he said well I'm gonna need some more money 
you know, I had to think about that for a minute. You know, I had to sit down and actually contemplate what it is that he said. And these exact words. Well, I'm going to need some more money. Okay. Why? So that you can smoke it? So that it can, you know, so that there's more blow going up your nose? You know, because for me, I know what he's going to use that money for. So starting the day of whenever my tax return hits, and according to Cash App, it's supposed to hit five days earlier than a normal direct deposit. So starting from the day that I get my tax return is going to be known as... Sorry about that. Is going to be known as the Gut Wrench Podcast North American Tour because I'll be damned if I'm going to give him any more money for a broken down, jalopitated house that's got nothing to offer. And I've been living there since I've been 11 years old, ladies and gentlemen. But the only difference is. It wasn't as bad as it was, like, through the years. We had other people keeping it up, you know, upkeep of the house. And quite frankly, they were doing a hell of a job. The back end of that house is missing because somebody had to use it for, from what I'm told, somebody had to use it for um, firewood. I know, it's, I'm living with a lot of, a lot of bullshit, and I'm sorry that I've taken up 10 minutes or 11 minutes of your time. I didn't necessarily want to do this particular segment of the episode, but then I got to thinking that what if there's no track record of me you know in my community and for that matter I don't want to tell anyone hey you know um sorry I just can't live there anymore you know like also those exact those exact words that I said like I said before I don't know if I I'm repeating myself or not but I'm a little bit nervous about it you know leaving like, I've never done that before. I don't run from my problems. But there's no visible solution. And usually I'm one who solves problems. There's no visible solution except run. Because he's in a state of mind, a, catastroph- a, a catastrophic state of mind, a catatonic state of, my, state of mind, where he's just... He cares about nothing. He he values nothing but his drugs. So I'm gonna block his number and I'm I'm gonna take off. I guess I'll see him when I see him, but the Gut Wrench Podcast North American Tour will start very soon, ladies and gentlemen. That means I could blow up, you know, possibly. But I'm 
the exact words that he used were, I'm going to need some more money. You know how usually there's like a, a some sort of, if you don't do this, then, you know, some sort of consequence is the word that I'm looking for, I suppose you could say, to what it is that you're, if you don't do this, then this will happen. A cause and effect, a consequence. He doesn't really tell me what's going to happen, you know, if I don't give him some more money. He just lays it out plainly. It's almost implied, you know, hey, you're going to get kicked out unless you could give me some more money. You know, I'm working a part-time job, buddy. You can't give you any more money. Why don't you go out and work for your goddamn money? Oh, that's right. You can't do that. Why? Because you're a drug dealer. And then he gives me this excuse. That, oh, put in applications in over 50 or 60 places and they won't hire me because I'm a felon. Well, whose fault is that, buddy? So if you can't tell, I'm a little bit flustered about the whole situation. I'm sorry that I've already taken up uh, 13 and a half of your, your uh, minutes for some, this is somewhat, you know, therapeutic. But at the same time, we've all got problems, you know, we've all got problems. But I, I don't know if anyone's ever faced a problem that's this catastrophic, that's this, you know, ambiguous. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Gut Wrench Podcast. <clears throat> My name is Mocha. I am the host of the show, as you all probably already know. Now, if you sat through what it was that I just got done telling you, yes, I do have some bad news for not only myself but also for um, individuals who was hoping that I would stick around Bluefield, West Virginia uh, just a little bit longer. And that unfortunate bad news comes in the fact that I'm going to have no choice but to move out of the house, well, the basic, the childhood home that I knew. This is episode 115, by the way, of the Gut Wrench podcast. If you stuck around for that, internal little bit of monologue or dialect that I gave you, well, usually I don't make this show about me. You know, usually I don't do that. I've went almost 115 episodes without doing that unless it's required because of some uh, life-threatening disease or something like that, or for that matter, for my own safety like that one time that almost got run over, that one time that um, uh, I had a gun point pointed at me, which all these things happened live and in color as I was recording this podcast. Well, not getting run over, that was a story that I was actually telling you guys that had happened to me. So basically I was at the, um, for some reason, 
uh, I was walking to work in the morning, and for some reason, this guy decided that it was a good idea to turn, despite the fact that the intersection where he wanted to turn at wasn't coming up for another, I want to say, 25 feet, 30, 40 feet. You know, he had ample amount of time, and keep in mind, he's in 16 wheels, and I'm walking on the side of the street. Anyway, this motherfucker decides that it's a good idea to get in behind me as I'm on the sidewalk, need I remind you, and um, for some reason he sort of starts pedaling his gas and whatever else. Luckily, I was able to outrun the, the stupid bastard because apparently 16 wheels don't run that fast on a sidewalk or whatever terrain that he was going at. And I was able to get to a picnic table at the um, gas station. Uh, the shell station that's over beside of the um, uh, Bluefield, Virginia, Bluefield, West Virginia uh, state border line. And as I was at that picnic table, I thought for sure this man's already reached his destination. You know, I thought, and I don't mean to get off topic or anything off of today's show. You know, this show's a little bit wacky anyway, so, you know, I mean, I started this episode with, like, a musical performance. By the way, all the links in the description for uh, that musical performance, if you want to hear it. Again, um, just listen to it on your free time or whatever else. It's Mako Tsunami's uh, theme song from uh, Dual Links. But anyway... Um, here I was, um, just trying to get to work and I had like an hour and 30 minutes before I was supposed to get, supposed to be at work and it was early in the morning and, um, I go ahead and then I decide that it's a good idea maybe to leave the picnic table because this motherfucker is, um, this 16 wheeler goes ahead and starts backing up, you know, so imagine he's like SpongeBob backing up, backing up backing up if you've ever seen that episode um but anyway as i'm starting to leave the picnic table as he's backing up i guess he sees me leaving the picnic table and then starts to put it in drive and then starts to accelerate because he couldn't get me because i was at that uh, picnic table the worst that he could do is ram into said picnic table which really wouldn't move me at all because it's bolted to the ground to my knowledge um <clears throat> so he would have been doing damage to his vehicle at the most but and then i go i'm trying to make sure that this motherfucker is not following me i go in behind the shell station this motherfucker continues to follow me he looks like he's some sort of fuel truck so maybe he was looking for uh, uh, a drop-off point for his fuel or whatever. So me realizing that I had no choice, I stop. I literally stop, and I'm putting my hands out as if to signify that I've given up. I've got no other avenues to travel, and this dumb motherfucker... As he's driving past me, 
and I'm on the uh, back end of the Shell Station where they keep their uh, garages. If you've ever been there, then you know where I'm at. I'm like right beside the car dealership, um, right at their garage door before the Shell Station opens. And this dumb motherfucker, he just waves at me as he drives. Drives on by. And it is the most annoying dog shit to ever have to deal with whenever your life's on the line. You know, I just made this episode about me because this is my story. It is now or it is never. It is do or it is die. And I'll be damned if I'm going to sit back and watch the funds that I have. You know, the, the, no matter how small amount of money, I mean, to, to a lot of people, $600 is a small amount of money. But I could imagine that maybe if I was to present that, if I was to present even a fraction of that to like a wrestling school, that maybe I might be able to, they might be able to say, hey, sign here, we'll train you for $500. You know, something like that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I won't know until I find out. And yes, you just heard me correctly. I'm going to get my wrestling career off the ground. I think it's high time that I got that done. I made a promise to someone, and I intend to keep every word of that promise that I made to that someone, regardless of the fact that they're not here anymore. So I'm sorry for getting emotional, I'm sorry for getting heavy, I'm sorry that this podcast will continue to come on a weekly basis, but imagine the journey of watching me go from podcast host to wrestling star, and on top of that, if I could get even further than that. You see... Ladies and gentlemen, I hate to be an inspirational speaker here, but there's a fine line between failure and complete failure. Do you know what I'm, what I'm driving at here? And if you don't, I'm not afraid of failure. Failure is the first step to success, believe it or not. <clears throat> yeah, we will start the episode soon. I'm just extremely nervous. I'm extremely, I'm just, I'm all over the place, I guess. We see highlights uh, from that year's uh, Money in the Bank pay-per-view. The highlights uh, presumably show the eight-man ladder match of the WWE Championship at that time. Uh, John Cena wins uh, the match Money in the Bank 2014 that was held for the um, championships. Both the World Heavyweight Champion and the Championship and the WWE Championship at the time, they were uh, unified championships. I'm not sure why, but according to Michael Cole, this is episode 1101 of Monday Night Raw WWE Programming. 
I forgot to write down the date, so I'm glad that he told me. Uh, actually, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Um, June 30th, 2014. Yes, June 30th, 2014. of Monday Night Raw, WWE programming. Uh, the Authority comes to the ring to talk mostly about Seth Rollins Seth Rollins winning the Money in the Bank uh, ladder match and to tell the people of Hartford, Connecticut about John Cena winning and becoming the new WWE champion. They give an elaborate speech about how happy they are and... Um, they are, people are booing them and enchanting CM Punk. Um, this could be, this could have been, rather, when Punk walked out uh, on the company saying that he was, quote, out of love with wrestling, which is something that I've said on multiple occasions that I would hope would never happen to me, and I would hate to, if that were to happen to me, uh, whenever John Cena gets in the ring, his entrance music plays John Cena. Do, 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 do. You want to know what's funny about that? Some of the wrestling fans have uh, remixed that that little do, 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 into John Cena sucks. John Cena sucks. It's really funny. Yeah, and Cena, he, he doesn't even care. He's just like, okay. I mean... We did it to Kurt Angle. I don't see why you would do it to me. But, okay. Whenever John Cena gets in the ring, uh, he lets his feelings be known right away, telling the authority of Stephanie McMahon and Triple H. Uh, when Daniel Bryan gets back, uh, whenever Daniel Bryan gets healthy again, uh, John Cena will give him a championship opportunity for the championships that he never lost. And, of course, that... Uh, if that would have happened as uh, Brian had to vacate them due to injury, and of course that also has some sort of continuity. The other hint I'm picking up on is because when he's healthy again, they said Stephanie McMahon then asks the crowd if they're gamers. It's almost like, you know, do we have any gamers in the arena or whatever else? And the crowd are gamers, and just points... Oh, okay. Yeah, she asked the crowd if they're gamers, and then afterwards she says, well, we've got a big surprise for you guys. She points up to the rafters, and um, the um, cover of 2K15 falls down from the sky. And <clears throat> I'm going to tell you right now my honest experience with WWE 2K15. So I played it for the PlayStation 3, and it sucked. The soundtrack sucked. The options as to how to play the game actually sucked because it wasn't nearly as many as possible match, like settings, as possible matches as like the previous year and years before. Like I remember WWE 2K. Oh my God, did I really just fluff the name? Uh, I remember WWE... Um, SmackDown vs. Raw 2010, 2009. Not really 2008, because I never really played that one all that much. I did play it a little bit, but not all that much. 07 was pretty good. WWE SmackDown vs. Raw 06 was 
fairly decent. Uh, and, of course, the first WWE SmackDown vs. Raw is something that forever lives in my heart. Because I loved the fuck out of that game and the endless options that you could do on story modes. However, this one, WWE 2K15, whenever I got it, man, was it absolute trash. The soundtrack, I, I said that earlier, but there's a song in there with Wiz Khalifa and John Cena. I tried to listen to it for 30 seconds. I immediately pressed mute on my fucking TV. And I said to myself that I'm never playing this garbage again. I spent $60 on that garbage, and I'm, I'm dead serious. I hated it. I played it one time, maybe two times. And then after that, I said, I can't. I can't with this. Uh, there was no story. There was no, like, the previous games had, like, a creative story. You know, they had, like, a, a fun little uh, story story time. Wherever you could go in and then you could make your own custom story. And you could make wrestlers wrestle. Um, or you could just put them in a wacky situation with a text box. And it's, it's so... Like, that was previous years, though. 2015 absolutely sucked. There were only, like, six game options. And it was, like, singles match, tag team match, you know... And it was like cage match, you know, all of the essentials, I guess, for a wrestling game. It was basically built for nothing more than two-player local, you know? Because there's no way that someone would put that garbage into their PlayStation and actually play that shit and play it like... Hey, uh, buddy, you know, I was just thinking... That maybe me and you could uh, play some 2K15. You know, no, you're you're not playing 2K15. I played 2K17, and that was a good game. That's where I played as Deadpool. That's where all the subsequent stories that I've told uh, on the podcast before come from. But I'm getting off topic, and I need to get... As I mentioned, uh, they had a song with Wiz Khalifa and John Cena together on the track. Um, I was very disappointed, severely... <clears throat> because usually their video game music is uh, in rich taste, because in rich taste, but in this case, the taste was very poor. Anyway, moving on. John Cena starts to smell something fishy, and he tells the authority exactly how he feels and lets them know that last night at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, they had... Uh, much different look on their face and he goes as far as to say you two are acting way too nice way too fast he says that last night uh, y'all had a different look on y'all's faces and he even pulls up a picture of the uh, proverbial look that they were making and it was a, a look of extreme upset or extremely mad the two of them, Triple H and Stephanie McMahon, uh, they rebuttal that they're uh, concerned for, they were at the time concerned for Seth Rollins and Randy Orton. Randy Orton had to get 12 stitches on his head because somebody hit him in the head with a uh, ladder. He had to get 12 uh, staples, not stitches, my fault. Uh, and that's what they were talking about. Oh, we were concerned for Randy Orton. We were concerned for his health. 
And John Cena then goes on to say that they were concerned for Randy Orton because they can control him because they've got Randy Orton in his po- in their pocket. John Cena then goes on to say, but you can't control me. Uh, Triple H then goes on to tell John Cena that he doesn't have a problem with Cena being the, the cover of magazines. He doesn't have a problem with Cena being in movies, uh, movie promotions, walking the red carpet, um, hosting the Kids' Choice Awards. Hell, he doesn't even have a problem with John Cena being the champion as long as you know and as long as you do it with some respect. Because you know, here's a part that really gets me. He looks John Cena dead in the eyes and then he says, because you know, as well as I do, it could all go away just like that. And he, he does the snapper noise that I made. I hope that you all heard it. But anyway, <clears throat> after telling John Cena that he could do things the easy way or he could do things the hard way, John Cena says, he puts his foot in his mouth and he says, I don't like to play ball with you guys because I know what playing ball gets me. Basically, he says, if the easy way means I got to be one of your stooges and be one of your little errand boys, then fine. I'm picking the hard way. And Triple H says, that's great, John. That's great. Because if that's the case, then at Battleground, their next pay-per-view, probably less than 30 days away, uh, John Cena will face three other opponents in a fatal four-way match against Randy Orton, Kane, Roman Reigns, and tonight you will face Randy Orton and Kane in a tag team match. And he will be partnering, partnering against Roman Reigns, the other participant of the fatal four-way. So basically, John Cena's put got himself in a situation where... He's going to have to tag tag up tonight with um, one of his opponents from uh, the pay-per-view, the Battleground pay-per-view, that he will be facing off against in the Fatal 4-Way match. And the other two opponents that he has are not going to be his team members, but rather they're going to be looking to stop his momentum coming into the uh, pay-per-view. We go to our first match of the night as RVD faces off against Seth Rollins. Uh, They did this last week, and apparently Dean Ambrose interfered, uh, ruining everything. I'm putting that in air quotes. He, quote, ruined everything. Rob Van Dam uh, keeps getting the better of Seth Rollins. As Rollins keeps rolling out of the ring in frustration, uh, trying to catch uh, his breath and uh, <clears throat> trying to get his bearings about him. Uh, the crowd early on chanting ECW and RVD. Uh, RVD with a standing moonsault uh, to the small of the back of Seth Rollins. Rollins with the cover, only to get a two count in the process. This is apparently, according to Michael Cole, a rematch from last week, as I just got done mentioning. Uh, uh, Rollins got interfered on by uh, Dean Ambrose, costing him the match via disqualification. Therefore, uh, last week, technically, um, RVD has a has a um, uh, victory, technically. 
a disqualification victory over Seth Rollins. Uh, Seth Rollins looking for a dragon screw, but uh, got caught by RVD by a pin, a uh, small package. <clears throat> Half crab center of the ring on RVD. RVD with a uh, pin. He gets a roll up. He only gets a two. Um, Rolling Thunder by RVD on the small of the back to Seth Rollins. Uh, Jackknife cover by RVD. And he only gets a two count on Seth Rollins. And RVD keeps going for these fucking count for these uh, pinning combinations and stuff like that. He's he's frustrating Seth Rollins to no avail. He's just trying to get the better of him. And Rollins has yet to go for a pin, by the way. Uh, the crowd is going absolutely unglued by seeing RVD counter uh, Seth Rollins every move. Uh, Rollins went for a buckle bomb, but RVD countered it into a hurricanrana, sending Rollins into the corner. Uh, this is awesome chance, but uh, shortly after the this is awesome chance, Rollins ends up hitting a... Um, uh, <clears throat> after that hurricanrana that I just mentioned... Well, RVD's trying to give it up, get up from it, and Rollins has already gotten up from it. And by the time that he gets up, and he sees RVD's in a prone position trying to get up, he hits RVD with the curb stomp. He gets the one, two, three, and he ends up picking up the victory. Right before, right like 30 seconds before, we get the this is awesome chance, but it's not awesome anymore. It's over. Three and a half stars out of five. Uh, not a lot happened in this one, but the story. <clears throat> these men told the story uh, means something of value is what I should say. <clears throat> the crowd seemed to be into it uh, at times and reacting reaction seems to be that they were very excited. They were very excited. Holy crap, I may not sound excited, but I'm extremely excited. But I've been at work all day, and I have yet to have a nap. Seth Rollins gets an impromptu uh, interview with Renee Young, who he keeps referring to as Toots. And upon doing so, uh, he gives the WWE Universe a reality check and lets them know uh, what's in store for them over the past few weeks. He goes on to say, the briefcase uh, in his hand is virtually guaranteed him. Uh, he gets a championship shot whenever he wants it uh, <clears throat> within the calendar year before it's interrupted by Dean Ambrose. It's really funny that Renee Young, the girl interviewing Seth Rollins, uh, is the wife of the man interrupting Seth, Seth Rollins, uh, Dean Ambrose, who interrupts the who interrupts his interview. So his interviewer, the man who interrupted the, who interrupted the interviewer is the husband of the interviewer. It's a very weird dynamic, I suppose. Uh, Ambrose goes on to let Seth know that uh, he didn't really win last night. In fact, Seth Rollins had a plan A that failed. So Triple H sent out Uncle Kane to get Plan B underway. But just because you won the battle, 
the war is far from over. Ambrose then goes on to state that any time that Seth Rollins thinks about cashing in his money in the bank briefcase for a championship shot, that he's practically guaranteed that, quote, any time that he wants it, any time that Dean Ambrose even sniffs Seth Rollins trying to cash in his money in the bank uh, contract, Ambrose is going to be there to stop him. I love how WWE uh, <clears throat> loves to toot their own horn here. And in this case, they've got uh, two matches that are extremely, they're extremely proud to announce for tonight. Uh, but they didn't even sound like main event matches. They sound like poorly booked, but nonsense. I choose, but nonetheless, I chose to do this episode for a reason. So I'm reviewing it for that exact reason. This aged poorly, but Rusev comes to the ring announcing, announced as the hero of the Russian Federation and the recipient of the Gold Star Award, of course, with the war on Ukraine going on right now, I would imagine that um, if this was going on right now, and Russia, to have a Bulgarian come out and pledge his allegiance to the Russian Federation would be... Uh, Oh, shit. I can't work this crank out of my neck. I swear. It's in my jaw, too. We'll get a USA chant uh, because Lana uh, in the ring and uh, she's talking about America and how much of a failure America is and how it is woven into our culture. Funny thing is, she's not really Russian. The woman who plays Lana, C.J. Perry, she's not really Russian at all. And what a name for a woman, too. C.J. Oh, my God, dude. If I had a girl, like a girlfriend or, you know, just uh, a friend who just happened to be a girl and we were acquaintances and her name was C.J., I would be like, oh, my God, like you're... Your dad must fucking hate hated you. He must have wanted a boy so bad that he named you CJ. Whatever I think of CJ, I think of fucking Carl Johnson from uh uh Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. I don't think of some hot Russian, and she's not even that hot. Not that put the word hot in air quotes, but, you know, for me, I've seen more attractive women, you know, and her Russian accent, I, okay, you know what, it's important, uh, <clears throat> when I said that this aged poorly, perhaps I spoke too soon, this aged very poorly, Lana then goes on to explain that there is only one superpower in the world, and that is Russia, led by the greatest leader in the world, Vladimir Putin. <laughs> the amount of war crimes that this man has committed. 
if it were uh, going on today, there would be outrage by the people who probably boycott WWE. Uh, we the People show up. The music starts playing. Zeb Coulter and um, Jack Swagger. Uh, Swagger uh, looking to fight the... Uh, looking to fight Rusev, the Russian, the Bulgarian, rather, who now resides in Russia. For those of you who don't know, Bulgaria is uh, right beside of China, and um, Russia is somewhere in Europe. There you go. I hope that I cured that up. Uh, perhaps I didn't. I'm not 100% for sure how to point it out on a map for you. It's It's pretty far away, though. You know... He's a Bulgarian, basically. He moved to Russia. That's all that you need to know. <clears throat> also, I've been told, just from what I've been told by online um, sources, people in Bulgaria are extremely racist. Not sure if it's a widespread thing, if it's just their culture. They are extremely racist. Uh, anyway, not to make fun of Bulgarians or anything, but Rusev charges at Jack Swagger, and Jack Swagger, with an arm drag, sending him, sending the big Russian, the big Bulgarian, rather, out of the ring. Michael Cole says, this is a huge six-man tag. Uh, it doesn't have any impressive, it, it doesn't even look that impressive, honestly. But we're going to review it because I like to put myself through shit. Okay, so here, one thing that I don't understand is why were there so many fucking goddamn tag team matches on this night? Because there were three tag team matches that I've counted thus far. Maybe I missed one. This is only one of them. The main event is one of them. And um, Rybaxel versus... Um, Dustin and uh, Dustin and Cody Rhodes, or Stardust and uh, Dusty Rhodes. God damn it, Stardust and um, Gold Dust. Rather, I'm sorry, I fluffed his name, and I don't know why. Jay and Eric Rowan are starting this match. Uh, the referee not looking to take control uh, for some reason. Uh, Jimmy Uso comes in and uh, helps his brother, and the referee doesn't even start counting like he's supposed to. Eric Rowan gets knocked out of the ring. Uh, <clears throat> they go to their second commercial break. Uh, Eric Rowan tags out to Bray Wyatt. As he is tagging in, uh, he puts Jimmy Uso in the corner and starts to mount some uh, some of the double team attacks. Okay, I see what's going on. Bray Wyatt uh, then tags out to Luke Harper. Commentary is making fun of the Wyatt family. Um, they're discriminate. They're practically saying how ugly that they are and how dirty that their clothes are 
and how they don't know uh, that much about them, and that's what makes them weird. Uh, they're poking fun at Luke Harper because he looks like he hasn't washed his shirt in weeks because uh, someone on commentary says that uh, he's had that same shirt on since last week, and it's got a chili stain like right on the collar. Uh, maybe he doesn't know how to use laundry detergent. And maybe on laundry day, and they they literally carry this out throughout the entire the entirety of the match. And if you'll remember, on my uh, 2015, uh, what was it, Extreme Rules 2015 review, um, I'm pretty sure him and Dean Ambrose, which they were making fun of the fact that they're both like lunatics, that they both belong in asylums, that they both you know, or crazy, whatever else. Um, yeah, if you'll remember, they kept making fun of Luke Harper for that too because he wore the same damn shirt. And not only did he wear the same damn shirt, uh, that was in 2015, this is in 2014, but nonetheless, what I mean is the man hasn't changed his shirt in a year, you know? Like, I see why they're making fun of him, but at the same time, Whenever you're portraying a character, usually you're wearing about the same clothes. You know, you're you're wearing about the same getup, the same outfits. Um, the exact same outfit I'm not 100% for sure on, but I can't say without... I can say undubitably that Luke Harper more than likely does not know how to use laundry detergent. Uh, commentary is just burying Luke Harper, though. They're just practically saying stuff like, uh, oh, yeah, I wanted to say something. Uh, 2015 uh, Extreme Rules. He was facing off against Dean Ambrose in like a... in like a street fight or something like that. And what ended up happening was basically uh, JBL on commentary with the line of the night. I remember during my... Uh, one of the things that I'd said during that episode was that JBL had said that that's the cleanest, dirty shirt that he owned. <laughs> like, you gotta be joking. That's the cleanest, dirty shirt that he owns. <laughs> Why not just put on a clean shirt, you dip? Oh my God. And don't worry. It gets a lot better. JBL on commentary, has the best wisecrack asshole fuckery of the night. And I'm going to try to rattle them all off for you, the audience, because you're going to be laughing with me. Tonight, you're going to be laughing with me. And you're going to reference this episode from now on whenever you need a good fucking laugh. Because JBL, throughout the night, does not stop with the fucking wisecracks. Anyway, someone on commentary says that that's the same shirt that he had on last week. And maybe he doesn't know how to use laundry detergent. Uh, maybe on laundry day he walks around naked because that's the only shirt that he owns. Remember, that's the cleanest, dirty shirt that he owns. <laughs> Another wisecrack by JBL, but he would make it a year in the future. Oh, God damn it. 
They're pouring it on thick for Luke Harper. Uh, Jimmy tags in Sheamus, and after Luke Harper tags in Eric Rowan, and before Jimmy tags out, he didn't move that. Oh, he did a move that I haven't seen in years, and it's called Dragon Attack. Jimmy Uso did a top rope dragon attack, and I haven't seen that since, like, I don't mean to, to date myself to make myself sound old, but I haven't seen that since I've been, like, an eight-year-old little boy. <clears throat> and I'm 29 right now. I can remember seeing that same move performed on a video game that I used to own. Whenever you went to pick the uh, wrestling moves that you would put on your creator wrestler, I remember watching that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And do you know why I would watch it? It's because I would jump up and down on my bed trying to perform these fucking moves. I know that that sounds dangerous, but the only thing that I couldn't get down was a 450 splash. And I didn't even know what a 630 splash was at the time. <clears throat> but one of the moves that I had perfected was the shooting star press. I thought for sure that I had a shooting star press in my back pocket that I'd learned how to do it. I thought for sure that I'd learned how to do a drop kick that I knew all the ins and the outs of uh, how to do a how to do like a, a headlock and, and keep my opponent down for, for a considerable amount of time because if I wanted to win the world title, I'm going to have to keep my opponent down for three. That's all that I need is three seconds. Oh my God, I was an ambitious kid. But anyway, Jimmy tags in to Sheamus and before Luke Harper tags in to Eric Rowan and before Jimmy tags out to Sheamus, he does a move that I haven't seen in years, and it's called the Dragon Attack. And he did a perfect Dragon Attack. And I wanted to point that out. <clears throat> Beautifully executed by Jimmy Uso. That's really surprised me. Uh, Sheamus climbs to the top rope and knocks down both Luke Harper and Eric Rowan uh, like they're bowling pins from the outside of the ring. Uh, he jumps from the inside of the ring to the outside of the ring, delivering uh, a move that he calls uh, the 10 beats of the bout, the batterin. I don't know if it's called the batterin or the ballin, uh, the ballad. Anyway, uh, Seamus gets uh, distracted by Bray Wyatt, and Eric Rowan throws him outside the ring. Uh, right before Seamus was possibly looking to finish the match with a brogue kick, uh, Luke Harper gets the uh, tag from Eric Rowan. Harper plants a big metal boot right on uh, the mush of Sheamus, uh, the outside of the ring, and then throws him back into the ring. Meanwhile, on commentary, they're talking about, oh, man, what a what a boot. Can we see that again? Can we see that again? And then I have to sit there and watch the fucking replay of Sheamus getting kicked in the mouth like six times. Because they just love looking at it. They say, okay, one more time in slow motion. Then I'm like, god damn it. Try to watch a match here. Stop with the fucking instant replay. 
of Bray Wyatt, uh, who goes for a running senton, <clears throat> gets the pin, uh, gets a near fall, he only gets a two count. Bray Wyatt uh, tags in Eric Rowan, and Rowan's got Sheamus on the ground, and he's going for a big splash. He goes for a cover, but he only gets two count. Once again, Eric Rowan and tags in Bray Wyatt again. They're using basic elementary tag team mechanics and tag team strategies uh, starting to take hold as they uh, try to isolate Sheamus from his corner. Keep Sheamus in their corner and always have a fresh man to tag out to so that they can wear Sheamus down. Bray Wyatt uh, goes for corner splash. He gets caught by a big boot from Sheamus, and Sheamus goes for, goes top rope and uh, gets hit with a right hand by Bray Wyatt, and uh, Bray Wyatt still keeping Sheamus away from his corner. JBL, oh, okay, uh, uh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Bray Wyatt uh, tags out to Luke Harper, and meanwhile, whenever uh, Sheamus got knocked to the outside by that right hand by uh, Bray Wyatt before Wyatt tagged out to Luke Harper again, um, JBL, he's got his cowboy hat sitting on the commentary desk. Well, it goes flying, and he goes looking for it. <laughs> and the crowd starts chanting, JBL, JBL. JBL and like nobody acknowledges it you would figure that JBL would be like hey look I'm trending on Twitter or something <laughs> but he doesn't say anything uh, Luke Harper with a super kick to the uh, face of Sheamus and gets a pin that only gets a near fall he only gets a two count uh, Sheamus with a backbreaker knocking Luke Harper off his feet using uh, Luke Harper's own momentum against him uh, the tag, uh, Sheamus looking for the tag, even though he's more than halfway across the ring, he starts to make the crawl, and Luke Harper also needs a tag because he just got hit in the mush with a super kick, or with the, what did he get hit with? Backbreaker, my fault. Sheamus with the backbreaker, I just got done saying that. Pay attention to my own notes. Uh, Jey Uso uh, gets the tag from Sheamus, uh, sending Harper to the outside, uh, with a super kick, a drop kick, and a suicide dive to the outside. Jey Uso uh, gets a two count on Harper as uh, Eric Rowan uh, stops the three count. Bray Wyatt comes in to intercept uh, Sheamus, who's hit Luke Harper with a bro kick. And Sheamus... Okay. <clears throat> Uh, Sheamus gets hit with a urinagi. Uh, then Bray Wyatt ducks the super kick by Jimmy Uso and uh, rolls out of the ring once again. And the referee refuses to count anything because once again, none of these men are the legal men except for the two, Jay Uso and Eric Rowan. Uh, Jay Uso and uh, Luke Harper, rather. A uh, super kick by Jimmy uh, rolls out of the ring, and once again the referee refuses to count anything, even though it's his job 
to try and take control of the uh, match here. He refuses to count to five, let alone ten. Uh, whenever the uh, unofficial member of the team enters the ring, they are not the legal man. Luke Harper hits a lariat from out of nowhere to end this match. Two out of five stars. This match did have some high points, and this match did have some low points, but uh, the constant tags in and out somewhat ruin uh, the illusion of the storytelling, and I get it. Everybody's trying to get their shit in. Everybody's trying to, hey, did you get enough TV time? Hey, are you uh, lacking TV time? Hey, who's got more TV time? TV time, TV time, TV time. That's what we need. You know, like, I get it. You're trying to get more heat on who it is that you, hey, we seen, we went over to uh, uh, the community center and we seen Bray Wyatt. Yeah, I mean, he, he did a lot of stuff, man. He did like a senton in the corner. Uh, he did like the Sister Abigail, you know, he, he did some crazy stuff, man. He's like, you know, like he reminds me of fucking Charles Manson. The way, or Duck Dynasty. Duck Dynasty Willie. That's who he is. He's fucking, his beard's out to his fucking knees like ZZ Top. And it's it's almost like he's a cult leader or something. But sadly, um, <clears throat> two-thirds of this team is dead. For those of you who don't know, Luke Harper, um, Big Rig, um, what's his name? Can't think of what his name was in uh, AEW for one reason or another, but <clears throat> he he passed away, and um, there shortly after, his tag team partner Bray Wyatt, Wyndham Rotunda, would also pass away. <clears throat> But they didn't need a six-man tag team match. They should have just made it a regular two-on-two -two, uh, <clears throat> tag team match. They they should have honestly just did a non-title match. Because in case I didn't mention this, um, the which I'm gonna assume that I didn't because I don't remember saying it. But the Usos are the tag team champions. So they should have had like the Usos facing off against Luke Harper and Eric Rowan, a a match from last night's pay-per-view, which not last night as in modern day 2024 last night, but like at that time, last night's pay-per-view um, rematch, just a non-title, especially if the white boys were going to win. You know, we didn't need the frequent tags in and out like that. That's just retarded shit. You know, hey, did you get enough TV time? Like I said, it's not important. Whoever got enough TV time, fuck that shit. We don't need to drag this this opening contest out any any longer than what it needs to be drug out to. <clears throat> This episode um, <clears throat> might go a little bit over two hours, and for that I do apologize. <clears throat> uh, 
um, why it's faced off against the Usos in a uh, pay-per-view that was uh, 24 hours before this uh, Monday Night Raw. Uh, but they didn't need a six-man tag team match. They should have just made it either a regular tag team match, you know, just a two-on-two rather than a six-man tag team match because of all the bodies in the ring and all the interruptions and all the... Uh, with this match was boring, it was repetitive at times, and even the crowd was so bored sometimes that they would chant JBL halfway through uh, the match. JBL shouldn't wouldn't have done anything to deserve his name being chanted. The man did nothing except for look for his cowboy hat whenever it was knocked off the table. Because he's some breed between a Texan and a New Yorker. Honest to God, if you know the 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 amount of crap that JBL <laughs> like he pissed off Texans so much whenever he was in his heyday. I don't mean to get off topic again, like I don't, but but JBL pissed off Texans so much in his heyday that whenever they would go to his home state, he would have the announcer announce that he now resides in New York City. <laughs> and then he would come out and he, he would stop with the used usually uh, Bradshaw before he became JBL, Bradshaw would then come out and then he would say, and don't you dare disrespect the name of Texas. Don't you dare take the name of Texas in vain. You know, like Sandy from fucking SpongeBob. <laughs> or, or what's his name from King of the Hill? Fucking Hank from King of the Hill. Yeah. Um, don't you dare take the name of Texas in vain. Do you hear me? <laughs> now, he would be taking the neck, the time, the, he would be taking the shit of Texas, telling them how, how royally screwed that they are and how how much New York City is so much better than them. And then it's like, he can't be serious. These are all principles that he himself used to, used to boo, and now he's cheering. Oh my God, I swear. Anyway, JBL chants throughout the last half of that match because it went on for way too long because all JBL did was look for his hat whenever it was knocked off the table. <coughs> we get an interview uh, from Tom Phillips and uh, he's interviewing Nikki Bella who, <laughs> who asks a question about her sister uh, who's asked a question about her sister Brie Bella uh, no-showing an event. <clears throat> and Nikki was asked how she felt about her sister uh, being unceremoniously dumped at the uh, last night's pay-per-view Money in the Bank because apparently um, Brie Bella was fired last night at the Money in the Bank. <clears throat> and Nick, Nikki is answering uh, most of Tom Phillips's questions. She gets about halfway through um, but per usual, uh, someone usually interrupts the interview, and at that point, uh, in this time, it is Stephanie McMahon telling Nikki Bella <clears throat> that she has a match with 
the Funkadactyls, Naomi and Camera, Cameron, and that match is next. Stephanie McMahon then goes on to tell her that uh, it was scheduled to be a tag team match, but Nikki Bella's uh, tag team partner did not show up tonight, of course, uh, because she was fired. Nikki Bella's tag team partner, of course, was her sister, Brie Bella. <clears throat> it was a tag team match, but apparently since her sister did not show up for work today, uh, Nikki Bella will be going, uh, have to go at it alone without the help of Brie Bella. Bo Dallas then comes out to the ring ramp, uh, standing at the entranceway, and he says to the audience, uh, the people of Hartford... And here's the heart, here's the fucking wisecracks that I was talking about earlier, okay? We're about to get like a mouthful of them, or at least an earful. You're about to get an earful from me, because holy shit, does JBL just, just lay it on thick? Okay. <clears throat> uh, Bo Dallas comes out to the entrance ramp, uh, he's standing at the entrance way, and he's asking the people of, uh, Hartford, Connecticut, to please pay homage to uh, two individuals who cannot compete uh, in tonight. Cannot compete tonight because they uh, they were injured, and he wants to have a moment of silence. This is Bo Dallas. He wants to have a, a, a moment of silence to pay homage to two individuals who cannot compete tonight by having a sixty seconds of silence. Bad News Barrett for Bad News Barrett and Daniel Bryan. It's a highlights package. <clears throat> it shows a highlights package uh, of an interview that uh, took place last night at their uh, pay-per-view, Money in the Bank, where Bo Dallas tells Daniel Bryan that even though he can't compete tonight and even though it's a real pain in the neck have to deal with situations like this um and as you remember at the start of the show uh, before i gave my whole heart-filled plea to all of you letting you know that i won't be missing i will simply be on tour and the reason that i'm saying this i've got to go ahead and address this now i guess but the reason that I'm saying this is so that uh, if you see any missing posters of me, they should be taken down and you should let the authorities know that um, I'm not missing. It's, it's just that simple. I just left without telling the people who are, I mean, they think that they're in charge of me. They think that I'm some autistic little boy who can't do shit. On his own. If word gets out to my mom, for instance, that I left, it, like I'm treated like some child, like John Travolta in the movie Bubble Boy. Are these references, by the way? Are, are these references? Like, I've already referenced King of the Hill. Uh, I referenced earlier something else. I can't even remember what it was. John Travolta, Bubble Boy. That's the way that I'm treated. You know? And I don't appreciate it. I don't like it. So I'm leaving. And whenever I do get caught by the police or whoever else, you know, let's say that hypothetically, I get pulled into it. 
like the police office or whatever. And then they're like, well, your family didn't know that you was missing or whatever. And then I'm like, they don't need to know that I'm missing. I'm 29 years old. should be able to make my own decisions. They said that you were autistic. Motherfucker. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I'm so autistic. That's why I left. You know, can you believe these people? Anyway, um... An interview that took place that night, um, last night, if you'll remember earlier on in the program, I mentioned the fact that John Cena said that he was going to give uh, Daniel Bryan a shot at the championships that he never lost. So, Bo Dallas uh, then goes on to tell Daniel Bryan that even though he can't compete tonight, uh, it will he will still succeed in other areas of life, and Bo Dallas is out here showing... And basically telling and showing these uh, what he calls inspirational clips to tell the people of Hartford, Connecticut, that if they believe, you get it because his name's Bo Dallas, believe they can achieve anything in their lives. And then he goes on like this man wanted 60 seconds of silence. I wasn't even counting. But I'm pretty sure he took a whole four, four and a half minutes of, he took a knee, for fuck's sake. Everybody and their mom went fucking ballistic whenever Eminem took a knee at the Super Bowl. Whenever Tim Tebow took a knee at, at the, um, what was it, the Pledge of Allegiance or something like that? Are these references, once again, are they, you know, like, am I some out-of-touch old man? Or are these references hitting for you guys? Because this was 2014. They took a knee in 2014. I'm pissed off about it, and you should be too. I'm joking. I'm, I'm sorry. I got bent out of shape. I'm sorry. I got a little rattled there. Here comes a wisecrack, by the way. Uh, JBL says, <laughs> this is the first ever Divas handicap match. We're going to see. <laughs> this is the first ever Divas handicap match we're go- we've ever seen. And then I put down on my notes because I didn't know that Michael Cole was going to say anything to JBL. And then JBL was going to have another wisecrack. But anyway, I'll put down on my notes here. We took It took us until 2014 uh, to have one Divas handicap match. If anything that JBL is said is to be believed. And anyway, Michael Cole reminds JBL that we've uh, had a match, a handicap match, uh, for the women's, with the women rather, around three weeks ago. And sarcastically remarks that he's glad that JBL follows the product. Cameron, um, who, by the way, she's calling herself, quote, thebomb.com. Cameron uh, gets a pin early. I'm sorry, gets pinned early on, uh, only gets a two count on Nikki Bella. Naomi, um, yeah, so the Funkadactyls are Cameron and Naomi, if I didn't uh, mention that, which I... Pretty sure that I didn't. I'm pretty bad at just not mentioning stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry. If I don't fill in the blanks at any point in time. 
Cameron gets pinned uh, early on, but only a two count for Nikki Bella. A Naomi with a beautiful crossbody from the top rope onto Nikki Bella. <clears throat> she gets a tag from uh, Cameron. It's more of a blind tag than anything. As uh, Cameron rolls out of the ring, Naomi comes into the ring, uh, does what I would call a reverse DDT or Scorpion Death Drop, and uh, she gets the pin and the win. The one out of five stars. Uh, these ladies did not get enough TV time to really tell an adequate story. <clears throat> as it looks as though that they're uh, just getting a squash match. Over three... Okay. Over 3,500 athletes and over 10,000 volunteers participated in the 2014 Special Olympic Games, <clears throat> including WWE, who participated um, <clears throat> with the athletes and the volunteers of the 2014 Special Olympics Games. And then we get a shout-out from the uh, um, Special Olympics Games I guess they've all got like medals and none of them's got like trophies. So I don't, I don't know. I would assume that the standard for winning a medal in the Olympics games, if it's the special Olympics games would be much lower, you know, but I mean, what do I know? I'm not a special, once again, I don't have autism, so I wouldn't know. I'm not poking fun at people who do have autism, by the way. Uh, the most I have is ADHD and bipolar disorder. And I think that <laughs> by listening to my podcast that you all know that I have uh, bipolar, I'm sorry, ADHD, because I can't stay on track. I, I'll keep telling you guys that I, I'm going to go off topic for a minute, but I think that it's relevant, you know, and for that matter, it's going to be relevant in like two minutes. It's going to be relevant three or four minutes from now. And plus, you got a wisecrack like fucking JBL who keeps making fucking wisecracker jokes. He's like an out-of-touch old man. And I keep making out-of-touch fucking old man jokes, too. I keep saying stuff like King of the Hill and, and Bobby Boucher. Water boy. At the next pay-per-view event, Battleground... There will be a battle royal to determine who will be the next Intercontinental Champion because the current champion, Bad News Barrett, got injured by Jack Swagger, who separated his shoulder by throwing him up against the barricade of the uh, wrestling ring that separates the wrestling ring from the audience. <clears throat> so basically, we got two champions that are having to vacate their championships. We got the Intercontinental Champion and Wade Barrett. Over on SmackDown, he basically lost his Intercontinental Championship, but they're going to have a battle royal on their next uh, pay-per-view, Battleground, where John Cena will face off against three other men in a fatal four-way match to determine who will be the um, reigning, defending uh, world champion. Uh, Paul Heyman comes to the entrance ramp to let us all know that he is the one. He gives a very elaborate speech that I sort of summarized because there is no fucking way that I could do that speech that he gave uh, justice. I can't, I can't do it justice. I'm just going to let you guys know 
because there's so many times where he, if I was doing that speech, I would have got tripped up. Let me tell you, uh, I don't know how this man would have written his own material. But anyway, here's the summary to it. He's coming out to the ring ramp to let us know that he is the one in 21 and one. Uh, he is the one behind the one in 21 and one rather. Um, and he's got another client in Antonio Cesaro. Um, Antonio Cesaro is the modern day. Claudio Castanoli is here to take the vacate intercon the vacant intercontinental championship home with him. Paul Heyman comes out uh, tooting his own horn, saying that all of his clients are successful and all of his clients are, are champions. And he's even uh, he even thought that it was bad news for bad news. Barrett, when Barrett broke his or separated his shoulder. <clears throat> but it's good news for Antonio Cesaro and Antonio Cesaro will face off against Kofi Kingston. A uh, gut wrench slam by uh, Cesaro early on to take Kingston off of his feet. Uh, Kingston with a uh, crossbody with a uh, near fall only gets two count. By the way, the gut wrench slam by Cesaro uh, early on to take Kingston off of his feet. There's your cheap pop gut wrench podcast fans. Um, <clears throat> Kofi Kingston with a plateau. Sorry, I said that wrong. Kofi Kingston with a plancha over the top rope. Uh, he's doing a plancha senton and taking uh, Cesaro, Cesaro off of his feet. Um, Kingston then rolls uh, Cesaro into the ring and pins him only to get a two count. Cesaro catches Kofi Kingston in midair and drives a devastating backbreaker using Kofi Kingston's own momentum against him. I said drives, but I meant to say delivers. <clears throat> um, Cesaro off of the suplex floats into the pin, but only gets a near fall. He only gets a two count. He goes for a uh, cross face in the center of the ring. Michael Cole uh, gets roasted on commentary by JBL. Hey, here's some more of the wisecracking JBL, by the way. Uh, Layfield says that he told Cole earlier on in the night, he told Cole earlier that Cesaro winning the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal at WrestleMania would put him in contention for the Intercontinental Championship. And JBL tells Michael Cole, I told you already. <laughs> then says, you know... You think it makes it, it you think it makes you sound smart because you say it in your own voice. I said it earlier. I said it earlier on tonight and you wasn't listening. JBL then goes on to say when I say it it's official. <laughs> By the way, nothing really of subsequent, you know, like there's no um there's no wrestling really happening. But JBL just wisecracking saying that he told Michael Cole, he told he told him that already. Then goes on to say that uh, you think it makes you sound smart because you're saying it in your own voice. You know, that's what JBL's telling Michael Cole. He says, you think it makes you sound smart because you're saying it in your own voice. 
but I said it earlier on tonight, and it makes it official. But you just wasn't listening. <laughs> oh, my God, I swear. Michael Cole says, I've learned... I've learned to tune you out early on. And nothing really happens as far as the uh, wrestling match between Cesaro and Kingston goes. Uh, so I thought that it would be funny for me to put up the commentary banter. <clears throat> Cesaro teases that he's going for his old finishing maneuver. The uh, crowd starts to cheer him and give him like the thumbs up. And then he all of a sudden just gives a thumbs down and says, nope, not doing that. You know, almost like he's not pandering to them anymore after becoming a Paul Heyman guy. Instead of going for the big swing, uh, he just starts kicking like Kofi Kingston while he's down. A Kingston with a Hurricane Rana is uh, able to get the single leg. He wasn't able to hook both legs, though, and he only gets two count because of it. <clears throat> Cesaro uh, puts him in the corner and there shortly after he starts welling uh, body shots on him and then after that we get CM Punk chants echo throughout the arena and um, I gave it two and a half out of five stars see here's the thing they said we'll be right back after this commercial break you want to know what happened after the commercial break they come back to show us highlights of what happened during the commercial break. I was like, God damn it. The fuck is this? So I gave it two and a half out of five stars. Wasn't very entertaining. Wasn't very good. I mean, they told a story. They did what they set out to do. I'm starting to lose my voice. <coughs> <clears throat> Kofi Kingston defeated Cesaro during the commercial break. And if you didn't download the WWE app, you wouldn't have known that. Cesaro continues to assault... Uh, Cesaro continues to assault uh, despite the match being over. He continues the assault, rather. Uh, he knows he uh, throws Kingston over the announce table. And according to JBL and Jerry Lawler, uh, Michael Cole is hurt and he's down. He's uh, taking it into the crowd and throwing uh, <clears throat> throwing Kingston every which way. He's incensed that uh, he's lost. He's fucking outraged. We get some inner brand promotion with some beer. And I'm not going to mention the beer here. Usually this is wherever I would say, oh, there's your cheap pop. But I decided to forego that. I decided to forego that because I do not promote in any way, shape, or form whatsoever. And I even put like three fucking paragraphs of what I'm going to say here. <clears throat> and try to take a deep breath and I'm going to try to maybe summarize this, what I put down. I'm not mentioning uh, the beer name, the product name here. I'm not going to promote alcohol at all. Santino Morella, I uh, can't believe that nobody made it to his party. Adam Rose shows up and pours uh, some beer in, in his cup that he had miraculously laying there. And then they all start uh, dancing. And I love how all the drinking commercials, all the beer commercials show uh, like women getting topless or men having a good time and... um 
try to use Tiger Woods. Oh, trigger words. I didn't mean to say Tiger Woods. <laughs> More references to celebrities that have nothing to do with this. Trigger words is what I meant to say. Oh, like, it's always a good time with spiked Kool-Aid. Um, <clears throat> I'm surprised that they haven't gotten arrested for false advertisement because in none of this it is true. You can prove definitively, as a matter of fact, that it is always a good... You cannot prove definitively, as a matter of fact, that it is always a good time with your alcoholic beverages in your hand. Uh, cannot prove scientifically, you cannot prove that. That it is a social, socially environment... Your alcoholic beverage is going to lessen social tensions smoother <clears throat> or, for that matter, make them go any smoother or any better. I bet you, in most cases, alcoholic beverages is going to ruin most social situations because someone's had one too many uh, to drink. <clears throat> and the party gets out of hand when your uncle and your little brother start getting into a fight over whose toy truck that is or who wants to use the computer first or something stupid and pathetic in retrospect like who's watching what on TV or who's going to cut the grass tomorrow. You know, it's, it's always something stupid that sparks a stupid argument. And I've got one... Um, as a matter of fact, story of my own. One time, <clears throat> not that long ago, I had a drunk look at me. And I guess he was just in a drinking mood for God knows what reason. <clears throat> it was my Uncle James, and he had a whole bunch of his friends over. <clears throat> and, um... They're r related to me, but it's not important as to who they are because in the main line of the story isn't exactly that, you know, it's it's got more to do with me and my Uncle James, you know, and less about them. But anyway, a few of his friends uh, get around, they start, like, passing around drinks, and he's maybe got, like, one drink that they're all drinking out of and one pack of cigarettes that they're all smoking out of. And me and my little cousin, we're just trying to play video games. It's all that we were doing. It's our summer, you know, and uh, whatever else is going on is going on, you know, or <clears throat> they're passing around this drink. And earlier that day, I got a Coca-Cola. So I thought, you know, I mean, they're drinking, so I'll go ahead and enjoy me a, a drink. I go ahead and open up the Coca-Cola, and one of my uncle's friends, Jesse, asks if he can use that as a chaser. And I'm like, okay, okay, well, why not? You know, he says he'll give it straight back to me, but quite frankly, I don't want it back. I'm good, you know. I didn't think that my drink would be used as a chaser. I just thought, you know, I need some caffeine. Why not? Anyway, um, they're passing around the drink, and not my Coke, but their drink, whatever it was, 
um, like three or four of my uncle's friends end up telling him that how good he is at playing guitar while he's drunk. And um, he looks over at me out of a random, you know, out of all the people that he could have looked at. He looks over at me and he says, Billy Bob, you don't like my singing, do you? He starts tearing up, you know, almost like he's he's sad. He's upset. He's he starts getting upset, emotionally upset, and everybody starts looking at me like I'm the cause of the problem. <laughs> and then I try to tell them, I try to let them all know that everything's okay, and I never said anything bad about his singing. You know, and everybody's telling him that he sounds like Tom Petty. And I don't even know if that's a fucking compliment. Oh, my God. Drunk people, man. Drunk people. Michael Cole. Anyway, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, okay? Fucking drunk people. I don't even know what I'm going to name this episode. Michael Cole uh, is revived and he looks as though that uh, he's <clears throat> feeling better <clears throat> as he says that he's feeling better. Damien Sandow comes out uh, dressed as uh, Mr. McMahon and he says his name is Vincent Kennedy McMahon-Dow. <laughs> he comes out uh, dressed as Vince McMahon, and he comes out uh, to Vince McMahon's music, you know, the no chance, no chance in hell. It's, it's actually the um, theme song, theme song to um, the 1999 King of the Ring, if I remember correctly. <clears throat> anyway, uh, Damien Sandow comes out uh, impersonating Vince McMahon. And in doing so, Stephanie McMahon uh, decides to put him in a match. And uh, his match starts right now because she doesn't take kindly to people trying to impersonate uh, her father. Also, she's got her hands full with sort of the Bella Twins, as we just witnessed earlier. <clears throat> Damien Sandow, or I should say Damien McMahon-Dow, facing off against the great Kali. Kali hits him one time, he falls flat on his face, he gets dropped like a sack of potatoes. And for that matter, Kali goes for the pin, he gets the three count, one out of five stars moving on. Uh, throughout the night, uh, we've been, they've been talking about the multimedia superstar who is going to return from the WWE. And uh, he's going to uh, debut at this time. The new theme song, the prelude to the new theme song, and here's the new theme song. It's not really a new theme song, but the prelude to the new theme song. Oh my god, how do I say this? The new prelude to the old theme song. So here's the new prelude to the old theme song. Before the theme song begins, what you hear is a whole bunch of camera clicks. Like that, right? I guess. And then all of a sudden you hear quiet on the set. Can we please have quiet on the set? 
and then you hear awesome. Now everybody and their mom was upset. They were all sad. They were sad Gilmore, you know, because happy Gilmore, because I want to make more uh, irrelevant movie references, just like I made probably seven or if anybody's taking notes right now on how many fucking movie references i've made because i've already i've already said something about king of the hill i already said something about fucking bobby hill bobby kennedy who was it was it bobby rude i I made more references in this episode than i've ever made my entire fucking life because this is the episode that's going to define me as a goddamn person but anyway what i mean to say jbl the fucking wisecrack, man, as soon as he figures out that it's the Miz, as soon as he figures out who the uh, multimedia superstar is, <clears throat> you want to know what his response was? This sounds like a really old man answer. I gotta say, I wasn't expecting this from JBL. The minute that he finds out that it's the Miz, <laughs> he says, turn on the sprinklers. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I'm so curious No, what it means. As soon as the Miz steps back from that curtain, though, JBL's immediate response was, turn on the sprinklers. I don't get it. <laughs> oh my god. I don't know what he has to <laughs> Okay, so JBL makes another wise crack here. He says, I don't know why he has to wear sunglasses. There's no sun in here. <laughs> god damn it, JBL. And then Cole rebuttals with uh, when your future's that bright, you gotta wear you gotta wear sunglasses to protect your eyes. <clears throat> anyway, uh, the Miz returns to lukewarm reception. Nobody's like cheering the Miz. They don't really care. Maybe two minutes after the people realize who the multimedia platform superstar was that was uh, praised that would return tonight for the WWE was the Miz, the Miz Mike Mazanin. <clears throat> <sighs> He's in a, uh, he's in the ring, the lights go out, and you hear, break the walls down! So like two minutes after uh, Jericho, or after, I'm sorry, shit, I already gave it up. I'm so tired, shut up. Um, after The Miz makes his debut, or his re-debut, after hearing Quiet on the set, can we please have Quiet on the set? And then a whole bunch of camera flashes and then, you know, multimedia superstar. Well, basically the short story is, is that The Miz just came back from um, filming The Marine Four. Yes, he just came back from filming The Marine Four. Well, so did Summer Rae, but nobody talks about Summer Rae's involvement. Despite her being in the movie, too. She just doesn't play as big of a part as The Miz. She's got like two scenes where she's holding a gun, but don't worry, we'll get to Summer Ray later on. 
um, the intro for the prelude, as I mentioned earlier, for Chris Jericho's theme song. And uh, Jericho is a multimedia su- superstar that has been uh, dancing with the stars. He's got his own podcast. There's your cheap pop, Chris Jericho. He wrote several books um, that's been on several top lists, like, you know, New York Times best-selling whatever. Uh, and he's got his own band, Fozzy, and on top of that, he's got his own cruise line. So, <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> there's a big return, but uh, from the way to shoot the Miz's return, you know, in the foot, uh, Jericho was on the microphone after, I'm sorry, Jericho was on the microphone after uh, knocking the Miz on his ass, and he was trying to see, he was trying to say, welcome to Raw is Jarrett. He probably got to Jarrett, and then all of a sudden the lights go out again, and it's the Wyatt family. They show up and they start attacking uh, Chris Jericho, uh, almost unprovoked, if not unprovoked. And one has to wonder why they would attack Chris Jericho. But JBL with another fucking wisecrack, man. JBL and his fucking wisecracks. He says. It's because they wanted to welcome him back to the WWE. Hey, you want to welcome somebody back to the WWE? You don't fucking attack them. It's like, hey, welcome back to the UFC. You want to be knocked out? Just stand still. You know, <laughs> motherfucker. <clears throat> anyway, um, Jericho gets attacked by the Wyatt family for... I guess no reason. No reason that I could find, at least. I'm going to take a short... uh, I'm going to take a short intermission because my voice hurts, and I'll be right back. And 12 hours later, here I am to record the next segments and hopefully finish this episode for it has been... Far too long before this episode is not getting done just yet. One second, and I will continue episode 115. We get Fandango versus Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler starts this match with a huge drop kick to Fandango, and uh, he catches him early. With a flapjack. Don't try to pretend you don't know what that is. Because we all know what that is. Anyway. Uh, Neckbreaker by Dolph Ziggler. Uh, getting Fandango out of the corner. And starting to mount some offense. Off of the distraction. From Fandango's girlfriend. Layla. Now. Here's where things start to get a little bit complicated. You see, about three, maybe two and a half minutes into the match, after the flapjack, after uh, Ziggler gets um, out of the corner, after Ziggler gets Fandango, rather, out of the corner, uh, and starts to mount some comeback of his own, you see, there's a cute little white, I should call her white, a cute little blonde girl, um, walking to the ring, and her name is Summer Ray. 
And you see, last night at the pay-per-view, uh, Money in the Bank, as I've mentioned before, this, this is just the aftermath of Money in the Bank. As I've stated in the past, I feel as though that wrestling is just a three-hour uh, advertisement for their next pay-per-view. But anyway, um, last night at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, what ended up transpiring was something along the lines of Fandango being the special guest referee in a match where Layla faced off against Summer Rae. So, what happened in that match between Layla and Summer Rae? Layla won. Fandango, as I said before, was the special guest referee, but he was more than just the special guest referee. Because Dango and Summer Rae... <clears throat> used to be dance partners. It's implied here that they used to be more than that. So, we get this cute little blonde girl, as I stated before, um, Summer Rae, walking down to the ring. She steps over the ropes and into the ring, locks eyes with Fandango. Keep in mind that's her ex-dance ex partner. Probably a little bit more going on there. She looks Fandango in the eyes, and then she turns her attention to Dolph Ziggler. And, in a twist, she starts making out with Dolph Ziggler in front of her ex-dance partner, Fandango. Because Summer Rae lost a match last night, keep that in mind, um, Dango was the special guest referee for and Ziggler looks like he's enjoying it. Summer Rae looks like she's enjoying it. But Summer Rae puts a devastating move on Dolph Ziggler, the lip lock. Summer Rae and Fandango used to be dance partners. Uh, it's insinuated that they were a little bit more than that. Uh, until Fandango at last night's pay-per-view of uh, Money in the Bank allowed uh, his current girlfriend, Layla, to pin Summer Rae and win the match because why not? It's not really explained, but Dango was the special guest referee in question and Summer Rae gets in the ring. She comes up to Dolph Ziggler, who is in the middle of a wrestling match uh, right in front of her ex-lover, or at least it's implied that they were ex-lovers, more than just dance partners. At least it's insinuated that they were ex-lovers. What I put here on my notes. Uh, more than just dance partners. Right in front of her dance partner, Fandango, kisses Dolph Ziggler, kisses her ex-dance partner's wrestling opponent, just starts making out with him in the middle of the ring. So she's got this lip lock on Dolph Ziggler, and Dango looks as though that he's won... A, jealous, two, upset or mad, B, he's, he's feeling frustrated about it. You know, he's like, you never, you never kissed me in the middle of a wrestling match. What the fuck? Where's the passion, Summer Ray? Why does Dolph Ziggler get it? And then Dolph Ziggler pulls her right back in and starts making out with her some more. After she's done, you know, lopping, lipping locks. Sorry, I butchered that sentence. 
after she's done locking lips with him, he goes ahead and pulls her by her arm, just pulls her in for some more. He's like, no, I wasn't done with you. And we get yet another passionate, affectionate kiss from Dolph Ziggler, this time from Dolph Ziggler to Summer Rae instead of the other way around. And um, Summer Rae is getting a mouthful. Off the distraction, Dolph Ziggler hits the zigzag and Layla, Fandango's current girlfriend or dance partner, seeing everything because she's right outside the ring watching it happen. She sees how disappointed Fandango looks while Summer Rae and Dolph Ziggler were swapping saliva. <clears throat> Fandango even tried to ask Summer uh, before she left the ring, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> JBL says, more wisecracks, by the way, from JBL. Maybe he's, uh, he's still got feelings for her, for Summer, or maybe he just wants them all. JBL calls it a love rectangle, by the way. But Cole says, Cole says it would be a love uh, square. And then JBL keeps insinuating, and keeps just uh, hammering home the fact that it would be a triangle, uh, not a triangle, a rectangle, not a square. And then Cole says, Layla's not happy. And then JBL says, is she ever... Oh my god. She just walks around sad all the time, I'm guessing. <clears throat> it shows highlights from last week's uh, Monday Night Raw when Vicky Guerrero got fired from uh, losing a match called a mud pin match, but the prop of mud that they use looks like pudding or cake frosting. Uh, Stephanie McMahon throws Vicky Guerrero into the pile of mud. That's what they're calling it, uh, is mud. And tells her that she's fired. Vicky is sitting right beside of Stephanie and she has just lost her job. So I'm guessing that she's got nothing to do, nothing to lose now. Um, so she grabs Stephanie and throws her into the mud. Which is like a swimming pool. One of those kiddie pools that you have to inflate uh, using your own breath or, for that matter, one of those pump machines that you usually use to, like, fill up air mattresses. Well, anyway, uh, Vicky goes ahead and throws uh, Stephanie McMahon into the uh, mud or the um, frosting or whatever it is. Um, she throws it. She throws uh, Stephanie McMahon into the mud, into the frosting. And then uh, she's not likely to have anything to lose uh, as she's just got done, yeah, losing her job. Uh, maybe a couple of dollars from lawsuits, maybe, or whatever. Gold Dust, I'm sorry, Stardust and Gold Dust making their entrance. And JBL says, time for a bunch of weirdos. And he says... You could have these two multiplied by four. You still won't have a full deck. Now, I don't understand what his problem is with Dango, or not with Dango. <laughs> not with, uh, I meant to say Stardust and Goldust. And this is, if I'm right, the second uh, tag team match of the night. Now, I know that I went off on a, on a hinge, on a tangent earlier, 
talking about the fact that, you know, we don't need all these tag team matches, and it's just pisses me off that there were so many tag team matches on this night. <clears throat> because we didn't need these tag team matches. Okay, yeah, here's the here's the opening contest. That was one. Let me try to get back to where we were. Uh as I'm scrolling through my notes. Okay, that was one. This makes two. Uh, Stardust and Goldust are making their entrance, and JBL says it's time for a bunch of weirdos. He says you could have these uh, two multiplied by four, and you still wouldn't have a full deck. And Rybaxel, that's Ryback and uh, Curtis Axel, versus Stardust and Goldust. JBL, I bet for Thanksgiving. So JBL, once again, with his wisecrack humor, you know, he's he's on a roll all night, I swear. And if none of these were funny, then this one's probably going to take the cake. Um, I bet for Thanksgiving uh, at the Dust Brothers, it's covered in makeup and uh, creepy things. Whatever creepy things are. <laughs> I don't know, he says. Uh, Ryback uh, gets beat up, uh, gets the tag and starts to beat up uh Gold dust and <clears throat> uh, keep him down on the ground. Uh, Jerry Lawler says uh, Gold Dust and Stardust could uh, go around a haunted house sucking ghosts into a vacuum cleaner. And I put in my notes like Luigi's Mansion, I guess. Anyway, a uh, Ryback. Ryback controlling the pace of the match. The whole time the crowd is chanting Goldberg, Goldberg, because of course they would, because Ryback apparently looks like Goldberg. Uh, Ryback controlling the pace of the match as he has uh, gold dust in the center of the ring and in a reverse chin lock. Ryback turns in, turns a crossbody into a into a fallaway slam. Uh, on to Goldust, Spinebuster by Goldust on Ryback. Goldust looking for a hot tag to Stardust, and Stardust starts to clean, cleaning house. As on commentary, they bring up the fact that Goldust uh, first started his career around uh, movies and uh, movie lines. Then JBL asks, "What does Stardust start his career off of?" And then Jerry Lawler says, "Stars." It just doesn't make any sense. Where's the chemistry, you know? <laughs> anyway, uh, three out of five stars. Uh, this match wasn't very long, but it uh, had a lot of uh, wisecracking assholes in it and uh, was still entertaining despite the fact that the wrestling was far and few between. All night with JBL, he's been nothing but wisecracks and a carrot top comedian act. I love this man so much. Uh, JBL says they are successful. They are victorious. Both Gold Dust, Stardust, they're out to lunch. <laughs> I don't understand what he means by that, but he made uh, Michael Cole and um, Jerry Lawler both laugh, saying they're out to lunch. 
what does that even mean? And then he said, of course, that's what it means. It means that they're out to lunch. They're so far gone that they're not coming back because they're gone from, from lunch. And he's just trying to explain what he means by that. You know, like earlier, he said the Miz, whenever the Miz came back, for instance, he said, turn on the sprinklers. I'm just sitting there like, oh, my God, what does that mean? Like, that's such an old man answer. Such an old man answer. Like, people don't say stuff like that. Sorry about that. I had to tend to something that my cat was doing. Okay. A night full of uh, more returns. We see the Miz return. We see Chris Jericho return. Uh, Paige is out, and... um. She's tooting her own horn, and she's saying that there's, uh, saying things like how she's, uh, took on all challenges, and how there's, uh, it looks like there's no one nowadays, and she's, uh, took care of all the naysayers. A lot of people thought <clears throat> that she didn't deserve to be at this stage, or on this stage, at this, uh, point, and... It seems like uh, she's getting halfway through her promo when AJ Lee's music hits, and it's been nearly three months ago in April of 2014, um, AJ lost the night after WrestleMania when Paige came out to the ring to congratulate AJ Lee on successfully defending her championship and when AJ won, she had won in like a 18-woman over-the-top battle royal. It was something like that. It was something to that nature. So, <clears throat> AJ, the night after WrestleMania, was in the ring. She was tooting her own horn, just like Paige is doing here. She was practically saying how proud she was and how there's nobody else left to, um, you know, oppose her or anything like that, despite the fact that there was still one woman left who could oppose her at that time, and her name was Tamina, but Tamina, at the time, was AJ Lee's bodyguard, so AJ Lee, you know, much like, I hate to keep making references to, to movies and stuff, earlier I made a reference to, um, Bubble Boy, uh, the fucking John Travolta movie, I think it was. Um, and I could be wrong about that. I, I remember John Travolta being some fucking movie star, not somebody who played a fucking boy in a bubble. But anyway, um, much like Patrick Swayze was the bodyguard to Whitney Houston, that's what we seen last April here in 2014, as um, <clears throat> AJ Lee congratulate uh, Paige came out to the ring to congratulate AJ Lee on a successful uh, defense of her championship, but AJ would challenge her to an impromptu match, even though AJ had nothing to prove that night, and Paige would get the three count on AJ and win. During the interview after she won the championship, she would be uh, seen in the back crying and saying how happy she was uh, at that time to be the Divas champion. 
but we no longer call this terminology. We no longer use this terminology of diva. Uh, it is now the women's champion. <clears throat> AJ Lee comes to the ring, skipping around the wrestling ring that uh, Paige is in, and uh, she's going to do uh, something that Paige did to her the night after WrestleMania. We get the CM Punk chants um, as AJ skips down to the ring uh, that they start echoing throughout the arena. And like I said before, this could have been at that time when CM Punk claims that he was, quote, out of love with wrestling. And this could have been at the time that him and AJ Lee had gotten married. And at that time, he also flashed his wedding ring and said that he's never coming back. Ever. <clears throat> but in this business, believe it or not, you can never say never. I know it's like redundant because I just said it twice. <clears throat> After Paige tells AJ uh, she's not going... She's not getting a championship rematch tonight. She then changes her mind uh, due to the fact that over 45,000 estimated are on their feet and they want a championship rematch, uh, even though Paige just got done saying that she knows what AJ was trying to do. AJ was trying to goat her into a rematch by doing the same thing that Paige did to AJ the night after WrestleMania coming down to congratulate her, to say how proud she was, to say uh, how she's so proud of, you know, her champion on the other side, because at the time Paige was in NXT. You know, that's exactly what I just got done explaining, that uh, though AJ had nothing to prove that night, and Paige uh, got the three count on AJ to win during the interview after she won the championship, like, that was the night after WrestleMania. Paige, I'm sorry, AJ had nothing to prove. But she said, AJ said that this is my house. And she's here to prove that nobody is in, I mean, just the amount of disrespect that Paige, I'm sorry, that AJ showed Paige that night. And AJ gets on the microphone, and then, of course, she starts talking about the fact that I'm pretty sure that these people here tonight would, in Hartford, Connecticut, would want to see us um, having that championship rematch. And then she even goes as far as to say, I don't know, Paige, why don't we ask them? Would you guys like a championship rematch right now? And then all of a sudden they're all chanting, yes, yes, yes. Which is, of course, the fucking Daniel Bryan chant. I fucking hated that. I'm so glad that he doesn't do it anymore. But anyway, AJ Lee versus Paige. Paige gets a pin, uh, only gets a two count. Early on, Paige goes to try to win. She only gets a two count. She looks straight at AJ. She picks her body up after going for that pin. And then she says, this is my house now. And then after that, AJ, with a small package... And Paige uh, just gets pinned, losing her Divas Championship. New champion, AJ Lee. For the storytelling alone, I gave it one star. 
and for the fact that it was so abrupt at that time and that you just didn't expect something like that to happen, it, it was in, I'm going to put this in air quotes, impromptu match because, of course, Paige knew what she was doing. And Paige knew, like, this was obviously rehearsed because looking back, I didn't know that. Like, back then, I didn't know that. But now I know that because she comes to the ring. She's obviously dressed in wrestling attire. She's obviously warmed up before the match. She obviously brought her championship down to the ring uh, in, for some reason, you know, just connect the dots, connect the dots. Not everything has to be a surprise, but that was a surprise. <clears throat> New champion, AJ Lee, and I gave it two and a half out of five stars for the storytelling alone, this match helped elevate the story and not only that but this is the sole reason this co-main event right here was the sole reason i wanted to look at this episode it wasn't to tell you guys that i was you know oh pity me i'm going to be moving away from my house uh the house that i've never moved away from oh pity me it's got raccoon holes in it oh pity me it's got mold growing out of the ceiling and we ain't even got any fucking water Oh, poor me. It had nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that at all. But three and a half weeks, two and a half weeks ago, I said to myself, you know, if I had the money, I would leave. Take off in the middle of the night. They probably wouldn't notice that I was gone. And what do you know? Tax time came around, and then I was like, well, I wonder how far $647 would get me. <clears throat> would it get me enough to wherever I could maybe uh, pay for a hotel? And I'm not saying a nice hotel, but I'm saying pay for a hotel, maybe. And for that matter, pay for enough to get me on my feet somewhere else wherever I can maybe get a job interview, maybe get a a chemistry. Back to what I was saying. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit flustered. And not only that, but also... Uh, <clears throat> it could go somewhere where maybe they pay higher wages is what I'm trying to... That's what I'm trying to drive home, you know? Holy shit. I could go somewhere where maybe I could um, start my life instead of keeping their life afloat. Does that make sense? It should make sense. And it's not because I said it. I know that that's a running gag here on the podcast. I wasn't trying to set that up. It should make sense because of the crap that they've put me through. But anyway... Then we go to the main event. Because last week, of course, I was talking about these two in particular just a little bit. Um, that was early on whenever Zack Knight was facing off against John Cruz. Uh, I was talking about the fact that these two had such great chemistry. And this is not even their best match. Their best match would happen at that year's SummerSlam, if I remember correctly. Um, <clears throat> SummerSlam 2014 was an absolute bomb of a match. And I mean, they dropped a bomb 
and it absolutely rippled. Um, in my opinion, maybe it was their best match. <clears throat> okay, so now we go to our main event, which was nothing really all that special, but okay, I guess I'm going to review it. Um, Kane and Randy Orton versus champion John Cena and Roman Reigns. As we heard earlier on in the program, John Cena is saying something along the lines of, uh, and this makes the third, count them, the third tag team match of the night. We did not need three fucking tag team matches of the night. Like, a simple one-on-one would have sufficed. You could have had Randy Orton versus John Cena, which we've seen 300 fucking times before. You could have had Kane versus Roman Reigns, which we've seen probably at least seven or eight times before. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to review all this match, honestly, because it is boring. Oh my God, even the crowd says that it's boring. So anyway, uh, the match ends whenever Kane finally grabs some uh, still steps. Uh, he grabs some still steps and then he uh, beats John Cena over the head with it and it ends in a disqualification. Your winner, uh, John Cena and... Uh, Roman Reigns. <clears throat> uh, Seth Rollins comes out to cash in his Money in the Bank uh, contract so that uh, he had all he had to do, all the referee had to do was ring the bell. That's all the referee had to do. The referee refused to ring the bell because <clears throat> the referee was under the impression that John Cena was hurt. Uh, John Cena was laying there motionless. In all of the confusion, Dean Ambrose comes down to the ramp uh, into the wrestling ring like a madman. Um, and he bolted straight to the ring. And before Rollins could ever think about cashing in, Dean Ambrose, Dean Ambrose chased him out of the building. Remember what Ambrose said earlier on in the night. The briefcase that you're holding is not a contract. There's a ticking time bomb in there, and it's going to blow up in your face. Ambrose said earlier on in the night, whenever Seth Rollins was being interviewed, that he told him, every time you try to cash in that money in the bank uh, contract, I'm going to be right there. I'm going to make sure that every time that you go to cash in that money in the bank contract, it's going to blow up in your face. But technically, this time... Rollins did not um, cash in his money in the bank paper, his money in the bank uh, briefcase. I keep wanting to say pay-per-view. It's just synonymously following the word money in the bank. But anyway, technically, the bell never rang. That's what they say on commentary. The bell never rang for the um, <clears throat> match to begin. So Seth Rollins technically still has his money in the bank uh, contract <clears throat> that he can use to cash in at any point in time, despite the fact that John Cena's laid out. He's gone, practically. He's he's over in La La Land, you know. <clears throat> and that's almost how he closed the match, because Roman Reigns starts staring down Triple H. The crowd is chanting, and it's echoing throughout the arena. This is awesome. This is awesome. Which they do a subsequent clap to it too. This is awesome. Anyway, 
Um, I'm sorry that this episode took until Tuesday to get out. This took a whole fucking week. <clears throat> I'm sorry that this episode is practically two and a half hours long. If if I'm right, is it was 2:07 whenever I checked it from the last segment. Um, and it probably is going to cap three hours because I'm going to add another musical performance. For those of you wondering, <laughs> I'm just doing this so that I grab your attention. Hopefully it works. Hopefully uh, your attention is grabbed. You know, hopefully it, it caught you off guard. You're like, what the fuck is this? You know what I mean? Be like, man, he can really jam. That's not my song or anything like that. Like I didn't make that in like MX Studio or anything. Um, the song is, if you type in Mako Tsunami on, uh, YouTube, and then you type in, good luck, like, actually spelling that, just type in Tsunami, dual links, and then type in, like, theme song, I guess, and then it should show up. <clears throat> if you can spell Tsunami theme song, dual links, and it should pop up, but I will leave a link in the description below for that song, as well as the next one that's going to play. Thank you all so much for joining me. My name is Mocha. This has been episode 115 of the Gut Wrench Podcast. <clears throat> Good night. Bang. And that's a wrap.